Good morning. Let us bow our heads for the prayer of illumination. Lord, may you send your spirit to give us grace that we may truly appreciate what you give for us, what you provide for us, and your love for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our reading from the Old Testament this morning is from the book of Exodus, the 16th chapter, the 2nd through the 15th verses. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If we only had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our full fill of bread, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day, and that way I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as when they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it is the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him. What are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine, flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning, the lectionary takes us into the book of Philippians, and we will spend a number of weeks in this little but wonderful book that was Paul's letter to the people that he loved in the world. So we begin this morning in the first chapter, and we will read verses 21 through 30. So listen now for the eternal word of God spoken to the church today. For to me, living is Christ, and dying is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. 
and I do not know which I prefer. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in faith, so that I may share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. For them, this is evidence of their destruction, but of your salvation. And this is God's doing. For God has graciously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well, since you are having the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The HBO series Band of Brothers, which was an adaptation of Stephen Ambrose's bestseller by the same name, follows the story of an airborne company of soldiers from their training to their jump into occupied Normandy, and then on through the end of the war in Europe. In one of the early episodes, a shy, frightened private named Albert Blythe confesses to his captain that he had not really fought on D-Day. In the confusion, Blythe had found himself in a ditch, alone, And he had just kind of stayed there. When his captain heard this, he looked at him in silence for a moment. Finally, the captain asked, you know why you hid in that ditch, Blythe? I was scared, the private meekly answered. We're all scared, the captain replied. You hid in that ditch because you think there's still hope. But Blythe, the only hope you have is to accept the fact that you are already dead. And the sooner you accept that, the sooner you'll be able to function as a soldier is supposed to function without mercy, without compassion, without remorse. All war depends upon it. Now, I don't know this from personal experience, but it seems pretty obvious to me that in wartime, the space between living and dying is as thin as it gets. In our day-to-day lives, that distance seems a lot greater. At least that's how we perceive it to be. Or that's what we tell ourselves. 
In our living, we tend to push death out of sight and out of mind. And maybe we do this because we fear the physical reality of death, wondering if it might be painful or uncomfortable. Or maybe we are worried for our loved ones who would be left behind. Or it might be a concern that is more theological, more spiritual, or to use a big churchy word, more soteriological. In other words, it might be a fear about salvation. That was the fear that was voiced by John Chrysostom, one of the greatest preachers of the early church. We all shudder at death, he said, some by reason of our many sins, of whom I too am one, others from love of life and cowardice, of whom may I never be one. What we wonder might death reveal about our spiritual weakness or our spiritual strength. It was this fear of heaven or hell, divine blessing or curse, that prompted John Chrysostom to devote one of his most familiar homilies to the praise of the Apostle Paul, Nothing can be more blessed than the spirit of Paul, John preached. Nothing is more noble. And what I think impressed John so much was the fact that Paul honestly seemed perfectly content to either live or die. To me, Paul wrote, living is Christ and dying is gain, two wonderful options in Paul's mind. Both were a blessing to him in some way. If I continue to live in the flesh, Paul says, I have great work to do. I get to watch my beloved friends grow and mature in the faith. I get to celebrate their successes and share in their victories. Now remember that Paul is in prison while he is writing these thoughts. He is not living the high life by any means. And the friends to which he refers are miles and miles across the sea on the other side of Greece. Even so, he finds such joy in them and in his work with them that his burdened, limited life is still an amazing gift. On the other hand, Paul says, if I die, what a wonderful blessing that would be too. My earthly struggles would be at an end and I would get to live with Jesus. So I'm hard pressed between the two, Paul concludes. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. It seems to me the very definition of total contentment. Whatever might happen or not happen, Paul was good. As he pondered these words in Philippians that Paul had written so long ago, John Chrysostom was kind of blown away by the depth of Paul's faith 
And John figured that his listeners, the people of the church, would feel the same. So when Sunday came, the preacher called out to his fourth century congregation in Antioch, What sayest thou? To live or to die, what would you choose? Would you shudder at the prospect of death as most of us do? Or would you rest contented in joy and anticipation at whatever God might choose for you? What saith thou? I don't know about you, but that sermon seems to echo through the ages without losing much volume, and the weight of that question lands on me with the same force today as it must have landed on those early Christians about 1,700 years ago. To have that depth of faith that whatever may come, life or death, we would rest completely at ease in the will of God. Unfortunately, my sense is that we spend too much of our time fretting in the ditch with Private Blythe, knowing that there is work that we need to get up and to do, but also fearful of a death that may greet us at any moment. In his book, The Wounded Healer, Henry Nowen describes a difficult counseling session with a 48-year-old farmer named Harrison. Mr. Harrison is a simple man who was raised on a simple farm by simple Baptist parents. He's a man of few words and few friends. He has come to the hospital because of poor circulation in his legs. And a hapless chaplaincy intern tries his best to offer some spiritual counsel to Mr. Harrison. But the intern just keeps missing the patient's attempts to share some of his fears and anxieties that he just doesn't quite know how to express or process. I guess I'm ready for the operation, Mr. Harrison says. I think I can make it. You feel you're ready for it, the intern asks. Well, I'm not ready to die, but I think the operation is necessary or I will lose my legs. The intern tries to interpret what he is hearing. You're not ready for the end, but you want something to be done if possible so you won't lose your legs. It's worth the operation if you can use your legs again. Yeah, of course, I don't want to die during the operation, Mr. Harrison says again. I'd rather die a natural death than die through anesthesia. After an awkward pause, the intern poses a question that I bet he immediately wanted to take back. You got much waiting for you when you leave the hospital? Nothing 
and nobody, Mr. Harrison replied. Just hard work. The next day, Mr. Harrison died on the operating table. He never woke up from the anesthesia. He departed life in a ditch of loneliness and despair, a man who was afraid to die, but also afraid to live. He was caught in a terrible trap, Nowen wrote. Any option would have been fatal, condemnation either to hell or hard work. I think it's only by understanding that kind of darkness that we can appreciate fully the light that Paul was shining like a beacon to the church in Philippi. The difference between two views could not be clearer. One is a no-win situation rooted in dread and fear and uncertainty. The other is a can't-lose situation in which both life and death are occasions for love and joy. Now, down in the ditch, the grass is always greener in some other place or in some other time or in some other life. Maybe we are longing for the way things used to be. Maybe we are longing for something we have never felt, but always wanted to feel. Maybe we are looking at someone else's life and imagining how happy and comfortable and fulfilling that life might be. But if we can follow Paul up and out and into the light, we might find that we see green grass everywhere. Sure, there may be different shades. The sod in heaven can't really be compared to the kind of grass that we have here, the kind that is way too receptive to weeds, the kind that can get parched in heat and sun, the kind that is constant work with all the mowing and the edging and the reseeding, The life that Paul had found in Christ allowed him to see blessings of every color and shade. He could find joy under every rock, love in every person, hope in every circumstance. And that gave Paul the confidence to look eagerly to whatever any day might bring knowing that in life or in death, at home or away, that Paul belonged to God, that he would never be put to shame, that he would always have the shelter of a house not made with hands, but one that is eternal in the heavens. Paul wanted the Philippians to know that kind of joy a joy that greets every day with hope. And I think you want it too. I know that you want it too. Now the path to get there 
is different for every man and woman and child, but Paul marks the trailhead for all who are ready for that kind of journey. It begins, he says, with a desire to live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, standing firm in one spirit, standing side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. In the terror of battle, Private Blythe received a message of hopelessness. Only by abandoning hope and embracing death would he succeed as a soldier. Only by giving up his life could he do his job. All war, he was told, depends upon it. And we read in Ambrose's book that Blythe took that advice. He did his job. And he did die. Not right away but certainly for the decisions that he made when he decided to lay down hope in a much different way. Paul extended a hand across the sea to the friends he loved the most. I know you are kind of in the ditch, Philippi. We are scared, they answered. We are all scared. Paul replied. We all have troubles. We all have challenges. But if you are hiding in a ditch, it may be because you fear that there is no hope. You may be scared to live or scared to die or scared of both. But friends, the only hope you have is to accept the fact that you are alive. The life of Christ lives in you. The love of Christ is alive in you. The faith of Christ has secured you and holds you fast. And because he lives, you also will live. The sooner we accept that, the sooner we'll be able to function as the church is supposed to function in love, in joy, and in the assurance that both in life and in death, we belong to God. All true discipleship depends upon it. On the wings of Paul's letter, this question lands once again upon us. Living or dying, home or away, in good times and in bad times, what saith thou? Because it is, in the end, our choice closing, I'll remember the well-known movie, The Shawshank Redemption. 
inmate Andy Dufresne has determined that he can no longer live in the hopeless ditch of Shawshank Prison, and he shares with his friend Red a bold resolve not to die in the darkness of that prison. And he dreamt of somehow escaping the bars that held him back, of breaking out and somehow making it to a sunny beach in Mexico. His friend and fellow prisoner, Red, called it a pipe dream. I don't think you ought to be doing this to yourself, Andy, he said. Mexico is way down there, and you are locked up in here, and that's just the way it is. I guess it comes down to a simple choice, Andy answered. Get busy living or get busy dying. So, what saith thou? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.